The Liz Calloway Show with Nick Summers, bringing you the voices that make you think right now on Talk 94.5. And joining us right now, no relation, is Sharice Trump. Good morning, Sharice. Hey, thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, you are the executive director of Speech First, and I was telling everybody about all of your credentials and what you were doing. (laughs) Um, And, of course, the website is speechfirst.org. So it's so great to meet you. And I bet you you get asked all the time, are you related? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm used to that one. Yeah, no oh, relation, no relation. <laughs> no relation. Well, it's great to meet you. And um, tell us a little bit about this organiz- uh, organization, Speech First. Yeah, absolutely. So we're a membership nonprofit organization, and we uh, litigate two universities uh, you know, that violate the free speech rights of our student members. And we defend students' rights on campus you know, through litigation. In addition, we also advocate on their behalf, and we try to educate them as much as possible on their legal rights, because a lot of the time, as you may notice on campus, they actually don't know what their legal rights are, and many of them haven't even read the Constitution. So we, we make an extra effort to go in and educate them um, on what their rights are and, and, and try to inspire them to take ownership of, of their rights. Mm-hmm. Now, um, one of the uh, cases that we recently heard was uh, the USC professor suspended for telling protesters that Hamas are murderers and that he hopes they all died. Now, he was placed on paid administrative leave after students said they captured him on video making those remarks. Um, Yeah, yeah. Tell Mm -hmm. us about this case, and um, was he right to be suspended? Well, it's a really sad situation because it really highlights the double standard on college campuses today. So this is Professor John Strauss at USC, and he walked by um, a pro-Hamas, pro-Palestine uh, rally and made some comments under his breath, uh, and then he was later goaded on to actually explaining what he meant um, by the people recording him. But he made some comments about how Hamas, they're all terrorists, and they should all be killed. Mm-hmm. And uh, that was just a matter-of-fact statement that he made as he was walking by. They asked him to elaborate, and he said, Hamas are murderers. That's all they are. Everyone should be killed, and I hope they are all killed. And they cut that for their TikTok video, They cut it to make it seem like he was actually saying that everyone there rallying should be killed, Um, basically saying, I think you should all be killed. And they completely modified the video, posted it all over TikTok. It went viral. And USC comes around and reviews him and basically says, "Okay, you're no longer a professor at this campus. Um, You're done here. And then eventually the accurate video did come out. But wow. it did not vindicate him. USC still will not allow him on campus. You're kidding. Um, and still think that he uh, is a threat to students on campus. So this poor professor, and let's keep in mind, this is a generation of students who pretty much get all of their news nowadays from TikTok. I mean, it, there was a report that came out this summer that said that it's on the rise. I think it, it's like almost 50% of people on TikTok now say that that's their primary source of news. And which is really disturbing when you think about it, because these are short videos that can all be modified. And the, the, the capability of, of misinformation is, is very, very high, the probability of it. And you're now having a university administrator using this as their primary source of information to suspend a tenured professor. So that's yeah. so unbelievable. And, you know, we heard that whole exchange between candidates uh, Nikki Haley and Vivek Ramaswamy arguing back and forth about TikTok. And he's like, hey, this is where everybody is. We have to reach mm-hmm. them there, even though we may not like it. You know, so I, I understand his point because you're not going to reach the people that, you know, that that need to hear that message. Um, you know, those people are not going to hear your message unless you're there. You have to go where the people are. So it's like an, an, an it's TikTok is really interesting how it's been 
um, weaponized in so many yeah. ways, and Hamas has weaponized it. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, not even to get into that. So tell us more, Sharice, right. <laughs> about, um, uh, you know, speech first, and how do you go about choosing which cases and how who to help, and, and um, how many more of these types of cases mm-hmm. are there? So in, in our cases, we're defending the students' rights. So uh, we we don't typically uh, sue universities on behalf of professors, and that's partly because it's a very different relationship. The professor and the university relationship is more contra- is a different type of contractual right. relationship mm-hmm. than with students on campus. Students, especially at public universities, public universities are just extensions of the government. They're taxpayer-funded. So they actually are very beholden to the Constitution. So any uh, incident, any uh, any moment where you see them violating students' free speech rights, they can be held accountable for that, and they can be sued. Um, and, you know, it, it's different when you're an employee-employer uh, relationship. Now, in this situation with Professor Strauss, though, I think it's really important to stress the double standard and to shame USC publicly, because mm-hmm. we do a lot of public outreach, and we try to inform the public as much as possible. There are many professors around, and or other faculty and administrators, who are joining these pro-Hamas rallies. They're shouting slogans, from the river to the sea, Global Infatata, which are both now designated as, like, you know, are recognized as anti-Semitic slurs. They're shouting these things, death, you know, basically death to Jews. And, uh, and it, there's no repercussions for those faculty members. There's no repercussions. Uh, you know, they have Jewish students on their campus. They make Jewish students feel unsafe. But suddenly now, all of a sudden now, a professor espouses an idea that happens to go against the narrative on the campus. Now, suddenly, he's the one getting in trouble for it. So I think it's important to really stress that double standard and to focus on that. Because Jewish students, just like everyone else, are, uh, you know, they are protected under the law equally, right? So there should be equal protection. The policies on campuses should all be applied equally to all students. If you have policies that, you know, show, that basically say that it's considered harassment or it's considered uh, dangerous to create a hostile environment for students and you can get in trouble for doing that. But then they don't apply that when Jewish students are being trapped inside of libraries or being hunted down by crazy mobs on campus and being told to leave outside of back exits of their buildings. Uh, that's not that's not a safe environment. That's a very hostile environment. I don't see universities really doing anything to rectify the situation. So this is a serious problem, which is why you're seeing the Department of Education now investigating a number of universities for Title VI violations, discrimination on the basis of ethnicity. Uh, so this is yeah, this is a big scenario, a big issue right now that's going on with the anti-Semitism issue. Mm-hmm. But to answer your question more directly, we actually, you know, we we wait for the students to come to us. We have student members all over the country. They come to us and tell us when there's something going on on their campus. We have a tip line at speechfirst.org. We get lots of videos. And you know, the mm, great thing about our org is that... Yeah, because we are a, a membership org, it allows the students to kind of keep their names out of the lawsuits, which protects their identities. Uh, and this is really important because it, it's what keeps them coming to us and telling us what's going on um, without fearing retaliation from their schools. Because they still want to get good grades and they still want to graduate, of course. Mm-hmm. But they also want to have their rights protected. Now, how, so, if when the kid, uh, when the, you know, they're not kids really, they're adults, but when they, when <laughs> these kids, students graduate, do they still have a case, like if they wanted to wait? Is there a statutory, uh, you know, limitations? So, yeah. there, that's, that's a big issue that a lot of folks who try to sue universities run into um, because once a student graduates, the school can say that the harm is no longer being done and try to get the case dismissed, and that often works. Ah. So because we're a membership org, as long as we have continuous membership on, on the campus, we can actually continue to add members as others graduate. We continue to add members to the case to keep it um, relevant. 
Uh, and so this is this is a big uh, part of our model, and that's why we are a membership org, is to basically be able to take, because lawsuits take a long time. They can mm-hmm. take years. And so yeah. students are going to be on campus forever. Um, and so this allows us to kind of stretch out the time horizon for our cases and really push them up to the appellate levels that are necessary to set major precedent. Right now, we've got a case pending before the Supreme Court. We're waiting to oh. hear back. We'll find out probably this week whether or not they'll take it. Um, but that but that case has started back in 2021. And so if we didn't have this model, we wouldn't have been able to pursue it all the way up to the Supreme Court. Cherise, can you just like maybe briefly explain one of these cases, maybe that one that's pending? Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So one of the policies that we have primarily been suing schools on is their bias response teams. Now, these are anonymous reporting systems that solicit reports from students on one another or on faculty for incidents of what the university calls bias, bias wow. incidents. And they define a bias incident basically however they want. Uh, and keep in mind, these are public universities. These are these are state actors uh, saying that we want you to come to us and report anything that makes you uncomfortable. It's so and communist. so that, that means it, it's very communist. It's yeah. so Orwellian and it's anonymous. So students are using these, these systems like crazy. They are just reporting on each other left and right for crazy things. Any, everything from social media posts and hashtags to uh, telling a joke uh, that someone found offensive to what they call microaggressions. Any, and the universities cl- specify in their policies that anything can be reported, you know, anything like a joke, mean joke, stereotyping, offensive language, which are all constitutionally protected forms of speech, by the way. And so we're suing Virginia Tech um, right now, uh, we've, but we've sued a number of schools on this, and we have what's called a circuit split. We've won against the University of Central Florida, University of Texas Austin, and University of uh, Michigan. Um, and now we are trying to take this Virginia Tech case all the way up because, uh, you know, that was in the Fourth Circuit. We t- we're trying to take it all the way up to the Supreme Court. I mean, try to get a national press now on this issue because it's just, again, like you said, it was your immediate reaction was to say that it's very communist, and it is. Uh, there's Virginia Tech has signs in their classrooms that say, see something, say something. And they're not referring to backpacks after 9-11. What they want is the students' default positions to be, or default reactions to offensive speech to just be to report it to a higher authority that can discipline other stu- the students. And get them in line. I, like, and that's horrifying. You know, I, I have to say, like, I, I am so glad I graduated in back in 1990 <laughs> because mm-hmm. I can't even imagine. Uh, I can't even imagine what it's like on these campuses now. I mean, I'm wondering if it was like this in the 60s because I remember a lot of protests and things like that. And it seemed to, like, skip you know, a generation with my generation, and now it's all happening again. And I'm just wondering yeah. who are the puppet strings behind all of this? Because you know, well, there's a bigger yeah. entity. Oh, a hundred percent. And so the irony of the protests you mentioned in the sixties were actually pro free speech. protests. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were like advocating for more free speech. This used to be the university, like UC Berkeley, like all these schools, they used to, they used to advocate all the time for free speech. They used to be the home for free speech. Um, and now it's the opposite. You have it's it's very um, tyrannical. Actually, you have the admin- the way the administrators are behaving. They're trying to control these students. They're trying to control their minds, how they think, what they do. Um, and they do they do coddle them and treat them like children in order to have more more power over them and to convince the students that they need these administrators. And yes, you're right. There the the bureaucratic blow on campuses is huge. And when we were comparing to like the communist parties and stuff. Look at what, what's similar to those to, to communist regimes to universities. They also had bureaucratic blow because they put all of their power. The, the power was always at the top, so that's where everyone collected themselves. And and then you had these apparatchiks, right? Like that would kind of go after everyone. Uh, these arms of enforcers. And 
you know, when you look at East Germany and you look at what the Stasi did with the informant system where you had neighbors secretly reporting on neighbors, that is almost identical to the tactics that were that are being used as bias reporting systems. And so this is, nothing's new under the sun. This has all been tried before. This has all been done before. Yeah. One thing that's important to point out, though, and we're wondering where why it's getting worse is these DEI departments. We talk about diversity, equity, and inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, but why, what, what they that they say that they're there to pursue is actually redundant because we already have federal protections for, from discrimination and harassment on, on the basis of sex and race. And so it doesn't make sense to have a duplicate. You uh, have to have it in order to get credit. Like for right, ESG, exactly. you have to have it. You know, uh, we saw that our city of Myrtle Beach had to have a div- diversity, equity, inclusion director. And we're like, why? You know, mm-hmm. and um, if they don't have it because they were Nick, what was that big thing they were they were celebrating? They were the most whatever. The most inclusive city. Yeah, the most inclusive city. <laughs> hundred. They got a hundred score and they're paying this guy. And, you know, people say, oh, I know him. He's so nice. I don't care if he's nice. They're paying this guy you know, maybe $70,000 or something to, um, you know, to, to fill this role. Nobody even knows what it means, you know, right. <laughs> and, um, and it's just really to get an attaboy and an award to put on the, on the wall, I guess. I don't know. Right. And to keep them. So there are there's millions of dollars, taxpayer money and private funds being poured into DEI departments all over campuses. They're hiring hundreds of staff, hundreds. And, you know, we have the, the, the administrators on campus. When we're talking about the bureaucracy. These are not teachers. These are not faculty that we're talking about. They sometimes outnumber the faculty. There are so many really? on campuses. It is very top heavy. And you have to ask yourself. And these are all their jobs are is to create and enforce rules. And so when you think about what that role like instills in you mentally, like what your role is on campus, you're creating all of these rules and you're just enforcing them on people. And yeah, these DEI departments, they, they say it's diversity, equity, inclusion. But what we've seen happening, the phenomenon on campus since these DEI departments have grown has been the exact opposite. We're seeing we are seeing uh, exclusion. We're seeing students being separated, segregated in dorms and in, in graduation ceremonies. We're seeing them being turned against each other. We did a report last year on freshman orientations, and we found that 90% of the freshman orientation materials focus on DEI topics. That's critical race theory. That's anti-racism. That's queer theory. That's microaggression, social justice, all of this stuff. And it, a lot of students are told to t- that they have to take implicit bias tests to right. find out whether or not they're racist. And so it's basically, you're not uniting the students. You're not doing anything to make them feel like they're part of something together. Instead of that fellowship sense, you're actually instilling a sense of division. You're separating and you're isolating them. And again, this is a very important tactic of Marxist ideology. Mm -hmm. Separate people into categories so that they can't work together. And that gives the government or the ruling entity all of the power, all the concentrated power. So these these are known tactics. We've seen them before. And this is part of Marxist ideology. It's how it works. Um, and I, I never, it's, it's always a person from a minority community too. They never would hire a white person to be a DEI coordinator. I mean, well, that's, there, there, I, I actually have seen white people be head of really? DEI and, and yeah, <laughs> but don't, I mean, but they are very bought in. They're very bought in. So don't let that fool you. Wait, wait, wait. If they're white, then they have to be trans or some other box. <laughs> right. Some they're, other box has to be yeah. checked. Some other box is being checked. Yeah, then. they've got to be something. They're white women or they're, or they're extreme apologists. And that's the uh-huh. thing, right? Like yeah. they are, 
they're they're self-flagellating. <laughs> That's basically why they're there. <laughs> it's unbelievable. I just uh, I went on Indeed.com just now and typed in diversity inclusion to see all the jobs that are open. I mean, these jobs are paying a lot of money. Eighty-five grand. Yes. Uh, NASCAR is looking. Uh, Dropbox what? is looking. NASCAR. Yeah. yeah. The NBA is uh, looking. General Motors is looking. Everyone. Yeah. Everyone. Yeah, needs- everyone is trying to do it. This if if yeah. you want to be if you want to be an inclusion mechanism specialist, whatever that means, it's a hundred and seventy five thousand dollar a year job. You just walk into yep. some place and say, you're a racist. That's it. Yeah, yeah. They say you're hired. And that's how they keep it. It's a cycle yeah. because that's why they're able to have degrees in ESG and in DEI mm-hmm. now, like more in business school. One, the, the top business school in the world at UPenn is now has an ESG concentration. So you oh can literally get gosh. your business degree with a concentration in ESG. Well, and that's because people are hiring because they, they're hi- they right, need exactly. to hire these. Wait, Otherwise, they're on. not going to get the money. You can actually get your BS and DEI. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. awesome. Well, Cherise Trump, very nice to meet you and nice to speak with you. If you want to find out more about this organization and if you are a a college student who wants to report something, right? That's what you're looking mm-hmm. for. Yeah. Um, what is the, the biggest, uh, best way to kind of, what kind of evidence do they need? Which works best? Video, audio? Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we yeah, video, audio are always super helpful. But if, you, if there's a policy on your campus that you're sure that the university is enforcing against you based either in a discriminate manner because of your viewpoints or you think that they're, um, they are being biased against you because of your viewpoints uh, and trying to shut down your speech or prevent you from bringing in speakers or, you know, make your events difficult to, to host. Definitely just send us tips, you know, even if it's not for, even if it's not something that we can sue the university on, it's still something that we can publicize and name and shame the university for. We can, you know, put it out there in the media, make sure everyone knows about it and hold the university accountable in the court of public opinion. So Mm -hmm. that's definitely an option as well. And so, you know, speechfirst.org is where you can go to to submit tips on our our tip line under resources. Um, You can also find our research reports and you can find our model policies. If you're a lawmaker, we have some model policies out there. Additionally, I have a podcast called Well Said. Um, you can watch my episodes. You know, I interview people who to talk about these issues more, like people who are working either on campus, sometimes they're professors, sometimes they're students. Uh, other times it's just experts or academics just on the issue of free speech and higher ed and American culture and how that all, how that all connects. Uh, so, yeah, feel free to check it out. All right. It is the speechfirst.org website and click on the membership tab and you can see all the membership benefits and the tip line there for DEI and indoctrination. I like it. Well, thank you so much, Cherise Trump. Thank you. We appreciate your time. Have a good one. Thank you so much.